0: This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik, a progress company. Hello, and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is Todd Motto. Hi, Todd. Hey, Ed. Today, we're going to be talking about JavaScript fatigue. Todd, I brought you on the show today because you are a new team member for Telerik, and you're working uh, with JavaScript and Kendo UI, and I thought it'd be a great time to talk about uh, overcoming JavaScript fatigue, and uh, let's talk about that in a moment, but first, let's do some introductions. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do.
1: Cool. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on the show so i'm uh, a new member to the team as you mentioned so uh, i'm over in england uh, so i kind of cover the developer advocate scene in uh, the uk and parts of europe and hopefully a little bit further across the pond than uh, over in the us so yeah um sort of working on uh, the kendo side of things Uh, we'll be diving into the native script as well Uh, there's also the the react stuff um, and Angular One and Angular Two integrations that um, so I'll, I'll be heavily involved with. So it's going to be an exciting year.
0: And you started off an exciting year by jumping out of a plane.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was uh, <laughs> it was an it was an interesting thing. By by that Ed means that uh, I went uh, skydiving. So uh, I decided to jump from the highest uh, point in the UK that you can jump, which is fifteen thousand feet, which is around uh, half. The height that a commercial airline will fly you uh, to another country. So yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. Um, it was the most exhilarating thing I've ever done, and I'm definitely gonna do it again. So, it
0: sounds awesome. If uh, if I was in the neck of the woods, I'd do it with you. But ah. but I have an easy out since I live very far away. <laughs> <laughs> For now,
1: we'll get yeah. you over here.
0: Yeah. All right, man. So we wanted to talk about. Uh, javascript fatigue today mm-hmm. so let's let's kick it off by kind of explaining what javascript fatigue even is
1: yeah so i think um well at the moment there's uh, this this javascript fatigue you could probably do a search for it on the twitter search and get m- sort of new tweets on it every minute um i think we're just in this javascript boom at the moment where there's so many frameworks there's so many like nude features and tooling and libraries and all this stuff that's happening daily and everybody's sort of recommending like new things to do like yes um the day before yesterday i was sort of um I'd, i'd recently switched over from using sublime text to using atom and uh Obviously, everyone has their own favorite um, text editor, but everyone's sort of like, why don't you try this, why don't you try this, why don't you try this editor instead? And it's the exact same thing that happens with with the JavaScript scene, so... um you might say, "Oh, I've just built this on Angular," and somebody but "Why didn't you do it in this? Why didn't you do it in React? Like, why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you use Flux?" Or do you, do you know what I mean? So um, it gives it gives a developer, especially a, a new developer to the community, like a, a somebody who's come from a, a jQuery background that builds websites, to then joining like a software engineering team that builds software in the browser, so web application side of things, uh, to make a jump. And then there's this kind of Which which way do I go down? So the path used to be quite clear. Like a couple of years ago, there used to be a couple of frameworks that were sort of the industry leaders, and then everybody kind of got a bit smarter and said, "Oh, you know what? I'm actually going to create my own framework or my own version of this framework, and I'm going to make it a hundred times smaller. Like that's that's my aim." So, um, and then React came out, and then Angular 2 is on on its way, and it and there's all the tooling associated with it. So I think instead of just uh maybe five paths that we had a couple of years ago we've got 500 paths and then we've got all the tooling around it so that's uh that's my nutshell definition of javascript fatigue is which way do you go (laughs) and then when you choose a path you've then got another 500 paths that you can choose like with
0: build tools and back ends and web servers and all this kind of thing yeah usually when you enter a space like this in development there's you know, two leading frameworks, like take responsive web, for example, there's bootstrap and then there's foundation. Mm -hmm. There, there may be some others like skeleton and a few, you know, smaller, uh, less widely accepted frameworks out there. But when you go JavaScript side of things, I mean, you've got just a ton of different frameworks out there. So if you're coming from, like you said, just jQuery into this new space of a hundred different <laughs> JavaScript frameworks to do ideally the same thing. I mean, the end goal is to build an application. So all these things are, you know, designed to get you to that end goal to build something. And there's just so many choices out there. And it leaves people kind of, you know, doing nothing because they're trying to decide which framework to, to use. And they're, you know, just we're, we're, what we're going to talk about today is how to kind of tackle this situation.
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, probably the most interesting topic at the, at the moment with regards to sort of the non-technical code side of things. Is is what technical and code side do I actually go with? Um, and you can you can sort of let's just assume you created a, an Angular application in a year ago and you were on one point three, for example. You may have kept building. You had a backlog of features that you kept building, kept building, and got to the point where. You had finished those features, but then all of a sudden, you're two versions behind because Angular 1.5 is then out. But then, you sort of make that upgrade jump, and Angular 2 is on its way. It's it's like a continuous cycle, and I use Angular as a good example because it fits in nicely with this story, um, and I think that it kind of gives you a it, it gives you the feeling like you're forever chasing, um, so you, you'll feel like you've never actually completed something uh and i think that's that's not a bad thing uh i think learning new technology is is fantastic it's just when there's so much choice and so much evolution on such a rapid and fast scale uh, I, I think it's definitely uh even off-putting for for some people and there's a lot of sort of community members who write articles like there's too much javascript there's, we need to tone it down um, and, and this kind of thing, and it's, it's interesting to see the community responding to it because we we know it's an issue, but we're all trying to come up with different ideas. Even if we don't need to to build something, somebody will build something. So it's just adding to this what we call the fatigue. It's it gives even more choice.
0: Yeah, the the developers that I know, uh, the ones that I, I talk to when I go to conferences and things, and these people are the type that want to be on the bleeding edge, right? So they they want to learn all these new things, but there's so literally so many that you could spend all of your time learning all of the things. And at some point, you got to decide on something because you have to get your job done. You know, deliverables need to be met. So that leaves people in a sticky situation.
1: Yeah, and I think that's something that we can always keep in mind is that, yes, there might be a new version of something, but the framework itself isn't paying our wages. Um, <laughs> it's what we deliver with the framework, or even if we're not using a framework. I mean, it, it's a rarity nowadays but to to go plain JavaScript because we'd have to build a lot of things ourselves. However, uh, it's it's not Angular itself. Uh, I use Angular again as the example that is it's paying the wages. It's the... It's the customer who's paying for a product or um it's a it's a customer who's providing uh, giving we're giving a service to for example if you're a developer in a software house for example um, that you've got a four-month project and you might decide to switch framework between between projects but then you've got a completely different skill set and if you have to come back and start changing that uh what you'd consider a legacy application because as soon as the application is built it becomes legacy because you can build it so much
0: better in a different way because of these tools just ever evolving so let's take ourselves in a position of we have a project that we worked on for say like a year heads down we're not mm-hmm. paying attention to the community we come up and like everything is changing where, where do we go from here? Like, What are some of the things that we're looking at if, say, we've been building Angular for a year and now there's all these new tools out there?
1: Yeah, well, it's, Angular's an interesting one because Angular 1 never really said, <clears throat> it never really said, okay, you need to install a build tool, you need to install this. It kind of gave you just a JavaScript file and just an HTML file and you could create this hello world example. Whereas we then started seeing this boom during Angular 1's lifetime that was Grunt and Gulp and NPM and all these this things that have just rapidly evolved and become the de facto like way and standard of, of doing things. Like if I want to run a local development server, I, I want live reload. I want my SAS compiled. I want my JavaScript compiled and linted. Um, and there's a lot of tools that we kind of add on to Angular. Uh, I, may, I mean, I used to work in a, an engineering house as well. Um, and we would sort of extend projects and each project build would be slightly different to the last project that we built that might take two months or four months or six months and they would all have a completely different setup because the way that things changed meant that we had to change as well Uh, and with Angular 2, Angular 2 is at that point now where there is so much tooling and we value the tooling that it has to use the tooling that Angular aren't going to give you something that that you can't instantly go and build with.
0: Now, you mentioned some package managers in there. So, mm-hmm. Grunt, Gulp, NPM, all package managers. And if you think of those in terms of uh, web technologies, they're, they're actually not that old, uh, but people may think they've been around for a while. Um, but if you're coming into you know this new landscape, like even... Microsoft developers are are just getting introduced to some of these tools, and then you start reading about them. And people are like, "Oh, well, Grunt is dead, so don't don't use Grunt." But to you, it's a brand new thing. But the web just called it dead yesterday. So what do we do there?
1: Yeah, that, that that's a difficult one. It's <clears throat> it's it's learning what Grunt gives you. So uh, in my opinion, whether I join a company and they are using Grunt over Gulp. I mean, that's exactly what happened um, in my previous role. So I I was using Gulp. I was using all the latest stuff um, uh, two jobs ago, and then I switched jobs uh, about a year and a half ago. And then we were actually had this huge system which was using Grunt. And once you go, oh, they're not using the latest thing, it's it kind of it makes you want to obviously use the latest thing. But then it, at the end of the day, you've got a grunt file which is hundreds of lines long with the complicated build systems with mature plugins and there was a lot of people adopting gulp which is obviously the the new sort of standard the sort of older brother to to grunt and you get a lot of people adopting that very early on and there was a lot of breaking changes there was there was no plugin support and there was people creating um, like bridges so you could use grunt plugins inside gulp and that become a kind of mess but now Gulp has matured, and now we're hitting the exact same thing, where everybody's sort of using NPM uh, and Webpack, for example. So instead of having your um, like JavaScript and images and all this kind of compiled uh, with Gulp, they would use NPM uh, scripts and, and Webpack. And it's the exact same thing. Um, so Gulp kind of replaced Grunt in a in a, in a mainstream majority sense, and, and the
0: same thing, I think, will, will happen with NPM with and Webpack. And I just completely added to the confusion by calling those package managers. What I meant to say is uh, task runners. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so NPMs if package you, if you really are if you really, really are new to those terms, I just really messed it up for you bad. So, <laughs> <laughs> so these are task runners for uh, you know automating your build process, not installing packages. Uh, NPM is um, but uh, Grunt and Gulp. Yeah, I goofed that one up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're too fatigued?
0: Yes, uh, the fatigue has set in. I can't keep all the, the new names of everything straight. So we have Grunt, Gulp, NPM, bower, um, and a million others. And then we have a bunch of uh, micro frameworks as well. So, mm-hmm. um, Like React is a big framework, but what are some of the small ones that are out there?
1: Yeah, it's quite interesting, actually. Um, I, I do a lot of polls and stuff on Twitter just to see where the industry is kind of thinking. And like, there's um, a, a large amount of people who I'd say, OK, so what would you use given the absolute free choice on a new project? Uh, would you use React? Would you use Angular? Would you use Angular 2? Would you use something else? Uh, and then I usually put other brackets, please specify and you get a lot of people saying oh i want to use riot or have you have you checked this out why are you not using it todd <laughs> uh, and then there's vue.js V-U-E.js. Um, a lot of people say oh you need to use this and it's it's similar to like when jquery first started coming out uh, people started creating their own versions of things and there's um there's a, a kind of a copy api copy of react and it's called preact so p r e a c t and that's a very very it, it basically mimics the React API, but it's very, very small. So the code's actually really interesting to, to have a look through. Um, but it kind of, I think when I tweeted the the Preact code, somebody actually replied saying, oh, great, another framework for me to go and look through and evaluate. But I think it's more of a look what we can do rather than this is like super production ready, go and build like a Gmail in it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know there's going to be people that are listening to the show that are like, "Oh, he didn't mention," and they have like five other yeah. ones. Yeah, uh, we'll get some comments. <laughs> yeah, and one of those. Um, we we get this request uh, a bit at Teller too. It's uh, and I may butcher the name. It's Aurelia. Yeah, Aurelia. Yeah, that's another another one that people are evaluating out there.
1: Yeah, there's a there's an interesting story behind that one. So it was built by a uh, Rob. Uh, Eisenberg, who was previously on the Angular Two team, uh, who then decided to leave and go back and start Aurelia. So yeah, there's there's a lot of competition. Uh, most of it's friendly competition, which is which is great to see. And where like the Angular Two team strive is they actually work with these companies. So they work with uh, Microsoft on like the TypeScript sort of integration and this kind of thing. Uh, they also work with the Ember guys just to um, and it, it just to build like an evaluated product for example that they might try out first rather than saying the industry we think the industry needs this and then they go and build something that the industry doesn't need so they, they look at um, they call it prior art so they'll, they'll actually evaluate the, the best things that they think are available in the indus- in the industry
0: so we have all of these things going on in the javascript space we have package managers uh, micro frameworks, uh, big frameworks like um, like uh, Angular 2 and React going head to head. If we're you know trying to get up to speed on all this stuff, how do we relearn this new JavaScript space without getting the JavaScript fatigue?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's so many resources online, and Angular 2 has been quite interesting because. The, the first version of Angular 2 that was released to the public is a very different version than what the current beta. So we're at beta 9 right now. So those two are very, very different. And if you've been following the API changes as Angular 2 has evolved, you'll see that they've made a lot of breaking changes. They've changed the API quite substantially. Um, and it's trying to avoid playing catch-up all the time. So... If you want to be at the complete bleeding edge, you can obviously wake up in the morning or get on with your work. And as soon as you've got like a lunch break or straight after work, you can then start looking at the API changes and tracking things that way. Um, Fortunately, we've got great websites like YouTube and PluralSight and all these um, sort of online platforms where people can come and learn from others. So I might say, ah, oh, the Angular 2 is ready, we're going to do a screen recording, this is how you use it, and somebody will come and watch this. Um, but then, in the next version, that might be out of date very, very quickly. So it, it's trying to learn that ground level. So if you don't know what a router is, or you never use one, you probably don't want to go and start using a beta version of a, of a router. So you might want to learn um, a very, very stable one that's been around for a couple of years, evaluate a couple of routers, see what they... Do differently see how to like set parameters and get parameters and pass them to api responses etc etc um and then i mean you could even go and build your own router but don't open source it and add to the javascript fatigues. but just to understand the core concepts of it and so then you, when you look back at let's say you decided to look at the first version of the angular 2 new router and then go okay yep i get how routers work i'm going to look at reacts router i'm going to look at ember and then you give it six months or a year, and let's say the router becomes stable. You can then say, "Okay, so I I know how to do routers. I know how to set dynamic views. I know how to render components. I know how to change the URL." And then you can pick it up very quickly. So this is this is what I've I've kind of been doing.
0: So back there you said something about you know build your own router. You're telling me that when I put a GitHub project up that. That's not the next best open source framework.
1: It could be. Could be.
0: Every every open source or every GitHub file I have is uh, the next it's greatest the open source thing. <laughs> and how many GitHub GitHub projects have you got? I don't know, like thirty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Um, so, if going back to uh, GitHub, um, mm-hmm. you know, should we maybe find some of these? javascript projects and open them up and take a look inside the code and or maybe contribute to them if we can what are some other things that we can do to kind of get on board this stuff
1: yeah i think one of the initial kind of hurdles for like let's say I'd, i'd never contributed to open source so i might want to there's a i've been using react router for example and i noticed that there's a bug i might want to go and fix it but then as which kind of adds to this javascript fatigue because you know how to you need to know how to then go onto the react um the repo for the the router you need to then download it you need to run it all locally do the in, all the installs you then you, you then sort of go oh i don't know how to write unit test or react test so then you have to go and learn this and by that time somebody's fixed the problem <laughs> um, yeah so um it's it's trying to get your skills to a level. And I I think there's, you can be put off by it. Um, Certainly um, if you're contributing to a very, very big project, like if you're coming into the scene and you're just learning JavaScript, you're not gonna go and create, um, you're not gonna go and push an issue um, fix to Angular 2, for example. Whereas you might go and find like a, a lazy loading JavaScript library, which has got 10 issues and it's a bit smaller um, you can actually have a conversation with the owner of the project and you can learn how they do tests and you can learn how to push the test and you can make sure all the build passes and then they can merge it in and, and they can encourage you and help you so you become better at like this open source platform. Then you can sort of take a, a, a bigger step and take a bigger project and then eventually end up at something like Angular or, or React contributions.
0: Yeah, one thing that I, I've been doing a lot of <clears throat> There's a lot of change in the ASP.NET space right now. Uh, So one thing I do is, you know, bite off a small chunk, uh, do a little test project of whatever the new feature or framework is that I'm, I'm working on. And then write a blog post about how I got it running or how to integrate it with X, Y, or Z. And then that becomes something that you can, you know, share with the community and help others learn while you're teaching yourself
1: yeah and that that's something that I highly encourage people to do is it it doesn't have to be the best blog that you've ever seen. It can be the worst looking blog on the on the web, but if it helps somebody out, then that's a tick in the box for a good deed for you for the day and um well one one there's good thing with sharing your knowledge in that sense so you can say okay yeah i I've overcome the react router or the angular router the component router here's how to use it. Here's a quick video demonstration maybe, or just a plain article about it. But then you can also learn how to sort of dive a bit deeper into the API. So you don't sort of just write an article saying, yeah, here's just create hello world. You can actually, when you write something down, you really, 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 really understand it. And I think when you try and translate thoughts in your brain, so you say, oh yeah, I know how to use a router, but then when you try and explain it in to somebody in words to somebody who's never used a router, and it depends on like your target audience for the for the article. So if it's like a Hello World routing article, then it's gonna be aimed at someone who's never probably used it and you might consider them in in your approach to writing. Whereas if you were doing here's how to create advanced nested child views, then a beginner isn't going to come across that post and, and probably digest it. They'll they're kind of gloss over it and maybe skip to another post. So, But in that sense, you can then create a, like a, your own series of articles. So you can create a beginner one, an intermediate one, and just have this flow that they, they flow together nicely. And that person who stumbled across your advanced one at the beginning, in a month's time, they might come back because they're hitting a problem that you hit. Uh, and because you've shared that knowledge of a of, of potential fix or you've covered something that they didn't know, then that's another tick in the box and you, you've saved them a job. Uh, and they might even follow you on, on on Twitter as well.
0: One thing I've found with uh, writing blog posts like that is you'll end up going back to that blog post yourself and reading it when you get stuck on something. Oh, yeah. Um, there certain ones that I've written that I've I've gone back to at least a dozen times. Like, how do you do this again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wrote a blog post on it. And you end up going back and rereading it and refreshing your memory. Like, oh, yeah, that's done this way. You can go get on with your day instead of trying to relearn whatever that thing was. So even if you blog about it, it may not stick in your head, but at least you've put it somewhere where you know where to go find it.
1: Yeah, exactly, and I think it gives you your own library of 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 things where you've demonstrated that that like a ground level knowledge. Um, it also like we, we forget things, so um, I I mean you can come back to it in a year's time. And go, oh yeah, I just does a a refresher kind of thing. And I think obviously we might not blog about everything to do with a specific like framework, like Angular, for example. We might not blog every single API every single integration side of things but somebody else might have and instead of um taking like a black box scenario where you just go onto someone's website like like we used to when we started learning and copy and paste a piece of code and hope that it works we've actually underscored understood like the ground level um workings of it so that when we look at a more advanced implementation or a slightly different implementation that we need to to do to fix a problem or a new challenge or a new task at work uh, we actually have the, the initial knowledge to then say, "Ah, oh, yeah, I see how that slots into to A or B." So I think that that's that's really important um, as a to build your up, build up your own resource, and and I think you dive a lot deeper into things as well um, by by writing them out and explaining them to, to to people.
0: Yeah, and one thing that I catch myself getting into is uh, when I learn something, I have the assumption that everyone else knows that thing now. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean you're you're not going to be the first person to learn something and you're most definitely not going to be the last person to learn something, so it's okay to get out there and and write about something even if you think other people already know it.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think um even what you consider everybody knows this, I don't need to write a blog about it is usually the complete opposite because there might be 100,000 people, let's say, that know Angular. There might be 100,000 people that know React. But then there's billions of people in the world who one day might want to learn Angular or React, and they don't know how to then get to that bootstrap stage. So providing people the bare basics that they need to get going. like For instance, um, I, I, I created like a, a roadmap of things I wanted to blog about uh, in Angular 1. And one of them was from the bare basics is setting up your Angular module from the absolute like beginning. And it's it's what you need to do in Angular and the documentation says you need to do Angular.module and pass in a string name. And I was showing them how to some good practices and how to do this and the setter syntax and the getter syntax and communicating with modules and avoiding global variables and all this kind of thing. And you think Everybody knows this, like, I, I don't need to write it, but maybe one person might find it good. However, when I then published it and tweeted about it, it went it went quite crazy, to be honest. Um, it had so much good feedback, loads of comments, um, and it was featured in ng-newsletter. So I think you can underestimate your own knowledge at times, and what you consider everybody knows, they absolutely don't. Like, I, I guarantee if, if I wrote uh, an article on how to write a for loop in JavaScript, there are millions of people in the world who will search for that one day. Um, So it's also thinking about the people who don't code yet or are coming into the code world that need that initial step. And if you can give them that, then then perfect.
0: Yeah, I think it helps you build a base, you know, to get over that JavaScript fatigue hurdle Mm -hmm. and get focused on something to to write about those basic things and, and move on from there. Yeah. And... Um, you know, one thing that you need to remember with all this uh, JavaScript fatigue stuff is to to not get caught up in the latest and greatest thing. Is you know, at the end of the day, you need to get work done. So yeah, you know, you need to find something and and settle on it. You know, there's always going to be like the next big thing. It's it's kind of like you know trying to trying to have the latest and greatest smartphone. Like there there's always going to be one and you know a new one in six months. So there's always going to be that, you know, new framework, JavaScript, great thing, uh, you know, six months down the road. But you can't keep delaying your project, you know, for months because you're anticipating this new thing to launch. You know, you need to pick something to run with it. You know, grab Angular and build something. For God's sakes, you need to get work done.
1: Yeah. And I think we can, like, uh, one of the 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 worst things at the moment with this whole fatigue thing isn't just the framework side of it it's it's the whole tooling wrapper like we are we are a community that is now reliant on pre-processing tools of some kind aren't we like we 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 say i would never set up a project without npm i would never not use uh, gulp or grunt or uh, webpack you see what i mean like we 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 create all these boilerplates and, and none of them do not have some kind of build or tool tooling around them like it's it's kind of essential and part of everyday work now and i think if you go back to writing javascript and refreshing the browser yourself that's that's now considered like a legacy practice like nobody does that anymore or at least uh, that that's not the way that the community is going
0: yeah and we have a habit of declaring things dead you know that doesn't always help us out very much um uh, Grunt and Gulp, for example, those things are, you know, are in the ecosystem, and we have projects that are deeply dependent on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can call them dead as much as we want, but you know, don't follow the hype. There's a lot of stuff out there running on those systems, and it's going to be around for quite a while, whether you think it's the bleeding edge greatest thing or not. Uh, so you got to remember, you know, just because somebody said certain is dead, It doesn't mean you have to abruptly stop using it. Uh, it's probably going to be around for quite a long time, if not indefinitely. Uh, like, I was talking to somebody earlier and, and said, you know, there's still plenty of people uh, writing COBOL. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. just because somebody said grunt's dead uh, doesn't mean that it's, you know, vanishing off the face of the web tomorrow.
1: Yeah, it you know, means that, it's dead in terms of it's no longer future. Like it it has, it might not have a, a huge shelf life, but it, it might have two, three years shelf life and then it becomes de- deprecated and no longer actively maintained or developed and the plugins and the ecosystem around it suddenly vanish. But it, it if you see, oh, this is dead, let's no longer use it. It's because that person loves the cutting edge. They love the new thing and they will refactor their application. Then they'll write an article about, how this is dead, and how we everybody needs to do this, and then somebody else will do it, and then someone else will do the same thing, um, and and you can do this with absolutely like if we if we had to rebuild Google Mail for example, we would choose a technology stack, and by the time we've probably spent two three weeks work on it, there's a new feature that we can we can use. There's a new uh, plugin in React that we could use if we were using React. There's a new API upgrade in Angular, and we can constantly refactoring our application and you, you could if you wanted to and you were chasing all the latest things get to a point where you're not actually going to push an application to to production and that's that's where we're at and it's 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 like you said it is choosing choosing your stack remaining focused but then delivering something but also keeping an eye on the industry so for example if we if we decided to build an application today me and you we might say okay let's and, and gulp didn't exist so we could say okay let's use grunt let's get it built but then while we're building it we say okay there's uh, gulps around the corner everybody's using this so maybe we should use that ed for our next project and you go yeah yeah Todd, that sounds like a good idea so instead of going back refactoring all of our build processes refactoring everything because they do the same job um yes Gulp is faster, it uses Node properly, it does all this, and now it's a, a more mature kind of product with a, a bigger ecosystem around it. Um But it it's it's waiting. I think it's a waiting game, I and mean, you've got to play strategically. Um otherwise you're gonna drive yourself mad.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think uh you wrapped it up pretty good. We'll we'll just say, you know, uh be bleeding edge on your own time, uh settle on some solid uh Frameworks that aren't beta for your, you know, daily work activities, and kind of move on from there. Yeah, i agree. Well, Todd, I appreciate you coming on the show and uh, talking with me today.
1: Yeah, thanks for the invite, Ed. and uh, I think we've got uh, the Angular Two team or some of the Angular Two team on the next, uh, the next podcast. Am I right?
0: Yep. Yeah, we'll have you back on, and we'll have uh, an interesting Angular Two discussion. Uh, with our next guest.
1: Sounds good. Look forward to that.
0: Absolutely. Thanks a lot, man. Brilliant.
1: Cool. Thanks, Ed.